Thomas Jefferson wrote these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so for us, we spend a lot of time not on life and liberty, but more on the pursuit of happiness. What is it that's going to make me happy? We need to pursue those things. Because we believe that if we pursue pleasure, we pursue enjoyment, it's going to make us happier. So we want as much of that as we possibly can get. And we want the good things in life, don't we? We want good health and good relationships and good reputations and good jobs and good foods and good times. We want to enjoy life. One of the things that uh, I do to enjoy life is uh, I, I like riding my bicycle. I got a road bike a couple weeks or a couple years ago, and there's nothing like getting in the open road, the wind in your face, and just enjoying it. Well, end of last year, uh, I wanted to ride in Ohio a little bit, so I drove down to the Anderson Ferry, got on the ferry, and went over and rode on the US 50. And as I'm coming back, the, the city skyline comes into view, and I'm like, I want to ride downtown. I'm going to try to figure out how I'm going to get there. And so I'm traveling on US 50, and there's a sign that says, no bikes ahead. So I, yeah, thanks. Um, So I assume there's going to be another sign that says, no bikes beyond this point. Well, that sign never showed up. And so I'm traveling on US 50, and I find myself getting ready to merge onto Columbia Parkway. Now, the wise thing would have been to do what? Turn around and go back. But we wouldn't be talking about it if I did that, would we? (laughs) So the next smartest thing would have been stop and wait for the traffic to clear and go across. But I thought I was a car that day. So I'm on my bike. I'm pedaling fast. And I'm merging into traffic going, you know, 50, 60 miles an hour. Not my smartest move. I didn't tell my mom until months later. So... um, So I finally merge across there, and I'm thankful that I didn't die. Um, And I know this is totally irrational, but a helicopter comes flying out like shortly after I get across there. And I know the police haven't sent for me, but I'm imagining, because I just blew through a sign and probably broke some law there, I take off and try to lose the helicopter. (laughs) And I won. so sometimes good times aren't all what they're cracked up to be. You've got to be careful with them. But we're going to continue in this series today of seeing God in plain sight. And we're going to talk today about seeing God in the enjoyment of life, seeing God in the things that we do for pleasure. And I want to, want to understand the very first of all this morning that God created pleasure. And that may surprise you, but God created pleasure. Think about the way our human bodies work. Our taste buds, our noses, the nerve endings on our skin. You know, why are certain things enjoyable? It's because of the way that God created us. You know, you see a commercial for your, uh, your favorite restaurant on the side of their food. Just makes your mouth water and you want to go eat that. You know, your, your favorite cookies are baking in the oven and you smell them. And you're like, oh, I've got to have some of those cookies. Well, speaking of smells and enjoying that, uh, I was with my wife, it has been a couple years ago, at Target, and uh, she was doing her thing shopping, and I'm just kind of roaming around, and I run into the cologne and perfume section, and so I thought, eh, why not? And so I start smelling, or you know, misting them in there and smelling like really good. I found one that I loved that smelled so good, and so I couldn't wait back, couldn't wait to go back and let my wife smell me. It's probably kind of weird, isn't it? Um, <laughs> 
So, you know, I did the whole wrist thing, whatever, and I, I went to Kelly, and I said, smell this great cologne I found. And she takes a whiff of it. She's like, are you sure that's cologne? And I said, yeah. And this was not my most self-aware moment. She said, what's it called? I said, it's called Pure Orchid by Halle Berry. <laughs> and the, the box should have given it away, right? <laughs> now, to clear my name, someone put it in the wrong spot. And it was in the cologne section. But um, if you're buying that, go for it. So, but, uh, you know, s- smell comes from God. You know, when our, the, the thrill and the rush of our favorite team scoring, that's from God. I want you to think a minute about, you know, procreation. You know, God could have made babies as simple as pushing a button. But no, he made that enjoyable. You know, think about the good food that we enjoy. You know, the the depth and the variety of the food is amazing on some things. I mean, God could have created us like our pets who eat the same thing day after day after day. And my pets have never said, hey... I want some more variety, right? My pets don't talk. I don't know about yours. But, you know, they eat the same thing. But God has given us those taste buds to enjoy the food. And as I'm I'm researching this message and looking into it, food plays an integral part of Scripture. You know, we look in the very beginning of Adam and Eve that were created, and God gave them reign over the Garden of Eden, the garden that produced food. Food was also the downfall for the first sin and fall of mankind when Satan tempted Eve to eat of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. Food played a huge role in hospitality and hosting people in biblical times. You know, Jesus chose to perform his first miracle at a wedding reception. They're doing the conga line and all of a sudden somebody says the wine's out. And Jesus said, um, this is loosely translated, this is not in scripture. Um, Jesus says, hey, what should you do? Well, mom says I need to transfer and transition this water into wine and so he does this miracle and changes the water into wine to save that couple the loss of their dignity a little bit they're running out the day before jesus was crucified he gathered his disciples together in a in a quiet place and they shared the last supper together and during that time this was interesting to me in luke 22 jesus says to them for i tell you i will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of god Eating played a role here. So then Jesus is, is crucified. He, he raises again. And uh, he appears to his disciples, but they were confused about who he was. And so after showing him his scars, we pick up in Luke 24. It says the disciples gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Jesus was saying that I'm going to signal the new kingdom of God coming into play when I eat again. And so he ate that and signified the kingdom of God is there. We see an experience that we have when we're in heaven. It's called the marriage feast of the Lamb. We're going to have a feast when we're reunited with Christ in heaven. Every week we gather together and observe communion, a symbol of what God had done for us on the cross by eating a piece of bread and a cup of juice. Eating was a part of God's plan and design for life. See, God created us to enjoy life and to experience pleasure. 
I had asked some of my uh, Facebook friends what they like to do to enjoy in their free time. And I was hoping to get 20 to 30 responses and got well over 75 responses because people are passionate about their hobbies. But what I loved is as they started adding their responses, it wasn't words anymore, it was pictures of what they enjoyed doing. And what I love is that God has created all of us differently. We all enjoy different things. Uh, I'm blessed to, to work with uh, Liz, who's our team administrative assistant, does an absolutely phenomenal job and is a, is a huge help to us. And uh, one of the things that Liz gets great value from is giving to other people. It's kind of fun to be on her team because like, she just gives stuff to you. Um, and so it's not uncommon for her to come in on a Monday morning with two or three bouquets of flowers that she cuts up and puts on different administrative assistants' desks just to brighten their week. And so uh, back in April, we had, uh, I told her, I was like, hey, we're, we want to take you out for Administrative Assistance Day at the end of April. And she said, okay, that's, that's great. I said, where do you want to go? She's like, that's secret. That's going to be a surprise. I'm like, seriously? Just pick a place, okay? And uh, she wouldn't tell us. We're asking for clues, and she's not, not sharing anything. Well, the day finally comes, and about an hour before we're to leave, she sends all of us a text and says, bring something to drink the place that we're going doesn't have a good selection of drinks and i'm like what in the world are we going to be doing here i was just like dumbfounded i couldn't figure it out so we all meet out here and uh, i said i'm gonna go pull the car around and she says you don't need to get the car i said why she's like because we're staying here i said why she says well because i brought lunch for everybody and that's what i want to do and if you know me, being speechless is kind of a hard thing to get. And I was like speechless. So I'm like, seriously? And I said, no, we're not doing that. I like objected. I said, you're not doing that. She's like, and she got a little sass to her. She's like, uh, you told me this is my day, right? I said, yeah. She's like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to feed you guys lunch. And we're going to play some games together. I'm like, okay, that's what we're going to do. But that's what gave her joy. It gave her life. And she, she was a little sneaky with it too. Um, like the week before she came up, she's like, hey, Brian, I've got a gift card to Panera. If, if you were to go there, what would you recommend me getting? What are some of your favorite things? <laughs> she, was, she did that to all three of us, and then she brought in all of our favorite foods, shared with us, and we played some games together on our lunch break. And it was a beautiful thing because it was something that brought her joy and happiness. One woman wrote on my uh, Facebook page, she said, I like doing these things because it makes my soul and heart feel alive and overflow with joy. See, God loves it when we enjoy what he gave to us. And so while it's important for us to, God, to understand that God created pleasure, we also must be careful to avoid the two wrong approaches, I think, that we can take in this. The first wrong approach that we can take is hedonism. Hedonism. <clears throat> So hedonism is this, this school of thought that pleasure must be pursued at all costs. Pleasure is the, is the highest goal in life. So it's kind of like, you know, someone would liken it to pleasure is like a lifelong vacation. Because like, you know, when you're on vacation, you do things that are going to be a lot more fun than your normal life. You do experiences that you may have never done. You spend a lot more money than you ever do because you never know when you're going to get back to that place again. And so the hedonist would say, you never know when life is going to end, so let's live it up and live it to the fullest. Life is too short to go through suffering and to have self-control. Let's just live it up to the fullest. The challenge is that does not come 
without cost. Hedonism is a blast in the short run. But it has cost because it's a selfish lifestyle. You're thinking about what feels good to me. If you look in the Old Testament, there's a man by the name of Solomon. And uh, God says, you know, I'll give you whatever you want. And Solomon wisely said, I want wisdom. And so God was impressed by that, as were a lot of other local leaders. And so anytime these kings and leaders would come visit Solomon, they would be impressed with his wisdom and they would give him gifts. And as I'm reading through the, the book of 1 Kings, I'm like, Solomon's getting lots and lots of gifts. We're not talking like a gold bracelet. We're talking like a ton of gold this king gave him. And so I added it all up at the end. Solomon had received 25 tons of gold because of this gift that God had given to him. And I did the math in today's uh, amounts. That's over $1 billion that these kings had given him. But see, what happened is Solomon allowed this selfish, pleasure-filled lifestyle to get the best of him. Because Solomon had a wife, but that wasn't good enough. So he didn't take on one or two or three more wives. He took on 700. I don't know what you do with 700 wives. <laughs> and so these 700 wives, 701 wives weren't enough. So we took on 300 concubines. Concubines were women who were of lower status than that of a wife that were there just for Solomon's pleasure. See, Solomon allowed the wisdom that God had given him to go to his head, and he sought out this pleasure-filled lifestyle that was not what God had desired. 1 Kings 11, it simply states, God became angry with Solomon because his heart turned away from him. Because see, what happened is all these wives were vying for his attention, and Solomon went and set up worship spots to their pagan gods. They had forgot who the true God of Israel was. <clears throat> Solomon didn't keep God's commands. Because of your actions, God will remove the kingdom from your family. Solomon's selfish pursuits left a path of destruction behind him. We see a story in the, in the New Testament where there were two sons named the prodigal story, the parable of the prodigal son. The younger one went to his dad before he died and said, I want my inheritance. The father hesitantly said, here you go. And we pick up here in Luke 15. Not long after that, the younger son got all that he had from his dad, set off for a distant country and squandered his wealth in wild living. That's that hedonism lifestyle. Just, I'm going to pursue pleasure at all, at all costs. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out as a citizen of the country who sent him to, feed, to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with a pot that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he was living this highly hedonistic lifestyle, pleasure at all costs, and now he's in the fields, not able to eat the slop that the pigs were eating. See, hedonism is a blast in the short term, but destruction is left behind you. See, there is more to life than merely having a good time. There's value in having self-control. There's value in delaying satisfaction. So that's, that's on the one side, this hedonistic lifestyle. The other side to, to avoid is something called asceticism. Ascetics have been around for thousands of years, and Christian, uh, historic Christian asceticism was the belief that Christians were to avoid pleasure and enjoyment of life at all costs. You don't laugh, you don't have fun, you don't do anything. 
And so while I believe that asceticism can be valued for a short amount of time to focus on God and figure out what he wants, God also wants us to enjoy the life that he's given us. Because what tends to happen is when you have this ascetic mindset is that you become so holy and godly that you create a bunch of rules for you to follow and then you start allowing other people to be brought into that and you tell them they've got to do this because God told you to do this and become this legalistic mindset that God doesn't want you to have that when it comes to enjoying goodness in life. Uh, it's been many years ago before we, uh, we moved up here. I was in a, in a church that just wasn't a good fit for us. And we struggled for quite a while, and uh, it was about a year later that we realized that we needed to find another place to, to minister. And so I start sending, you know, start my network, and does anybody have any openings, this and that. And even got to the point where I wasn't sure if ministry was a fit for me, if being a pastor was what God really called me to. So I started sending, you know, applications out to, to car dealerships to sell cars, all these other places. Like, you know, maybe I had it wrong all along that God doesn't really want me in ministry. And so uh, eventually I, I sent a letter to a, a mentor that was on staff at First Church, Myron Williams. And Myron says, I don't know if it's been filled yet, but we've got a position here that's open. And so uh, I came up, I interviewed for the, the position that I currently have now, um, and uh, interviewed. And Tommy, who was leading that search up, said, hey, we like you. We, we want you to bring your family up for an elder interview. I'm like, oh, this can get serious real fast here. And so Kelly and Emma, we, we flew up and uh, we interviewed and Tommy called and said, the, the job's yours. And my first thought would have been, man, I'm in a bad spot. Yes, I'll take the job. But I decided to say, let me think about it for a couple of days and I'll get back with you. I don't know what I was thinking, but that's what I said. And so Kelly and I talked for a, for a couple of days and we were in a lot of turmoil. Like, what should we do? Should we take this? Because it was the familiarity of the known and the unfamiliarity of you. I don't know you, Okay. And so you were scary to me because I didn't know what this place was all about, what it was going to be like. And um, Kelly and I wrongly had this idea that it's a greater desire of God's for us to suffer in ministry than to enjoy it. And so I called Tommy up and I said, Tommy, I'm going to turn the job down. I'm not coming. And I really thought, oh, Man, this is going to be done. We're going to have so much relief because the decision has been made. Kelly and I were a wreck. We're like, wait a minute. What had we just done? Here was a job that seemed like a great fit at a great church, and we just said we're, we don't want it. And uh, a couple of days later, Myron Williams, one of my mentors, called me up again. He's like, hey, Brian, I'm not trying to change your mind, but I just want to make sure in six months you're not going to wish you had a different decision. And I said, you know what? You're right. So I called Tommy back, and uh, I said, if, the, the available, if it's the still there, we'll take it. And so we moved up here about 15 years ago, and I uh, love being a part of the First Church family and being a part of this place. But that, that mindset of asceticism came in is that it's better to suffer than to enjoy life. God, that's what God wants for my life more, is for us to suffer than to enjoy it. I think just, there's some danger in that. Again, there's some valuable times where God would want us to endure and, and persevere and focus on him, but God also wants us to enjoy what he has given to us. But you see, God has given us a great many things in life and gave us the ability to enjoy them. 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. 
So where, where do we go from? We know that God created pleasure. We know that we don't want to be hedonists. And we know that ascetics aren't always the, the best way to go. So how do we bring pleasure into focus and enjoying life into focus with what God wants? Now I want you to realize, first and foremost, that realize that our purpose in life is not for pleasure. It's, that's not the way that God created us. That's not the highest calling that God has given us of life. God wants us to delight in him, and then we delight in what he has created. Psalm 37, 4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and then he will give you the desires of your heart. See, God created us to accept those good things and be thankful for what he provides. But first and foremost, he, des- he created us for a relationship with him. See, God is not opposed to pleasure. God's not opposed to enjoying life unless that takes his place in our lives. See, that's, that's the key. If you don't get anything else out of this message today, is that God's not opposed to pleasure unless it's taking his place in our lives. And that becomes idolatry, that you're putting something above God, that you're enjoying something more than you're enjoying God. See, we're, we're called at times to forego the immediate pleasure for the kingdom of God, for our spiritual growth. See, sometimes it might be that a, an alcoholic drink may calm you, but the greater investment is to continue your sobriety. When buying that new toy, it'd be a lot of fun, but the greater investment would be to be generous. While well, being intimate before marriage could bring great pleasure, the greater investment is to give your gift, that gift to your spouse after you're married. While staying up late and partying would be a lot of fun, the greater investment would be to go to bed on time and go to work in the morning. See, for those that seek God and his righteousness, God says that there will be eternal pleasures in store. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life, and you fill me with your joy in your presence and eternal pleasures at your right hand. We must focus not just on the pleasures of this life, but of that to come. Written in 1647, the Westminster Catechism states this, that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Our enjoyment is about God. He gives good gifts, and we should thank him for that. See, we we know that God has not designed us to seek pleasure first and foremost, but to seek him and him only. Trillian Newbill wrote a great book on the subject called Enjoy, and she writes this. We often find it difficult to simply enjoy the things of earth. We must believe that there's a great purpose in our pursuit of them. Our hobbies must be legitimized or incentivized, and our shame leads us to believe that we don't deserve to enjoy anything. In view of the people suffering around the world, and sometimes in our own lives, how can we sit here and enjoy relationships and food and arts and creation and more? James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. New Bill continues by saying this, We must not take ourselves so seriously that we forget the wonder, the delight, and the joy of living, and we must not forget the God who gives it to us all. We can play, she says, to the glory of God. When it's not about us, there's such freedom to enjoy it. Play is a gift from God. Whether we eat or drink, splash in puddles of water, listen to music, ride our bikes, run on a trail, play a game of ultimate Frisbee or Monopoly, whatever we do, we can do it to the glory of God. 
with it is with a lot of things in life, it goes back to your heart. What is your motive? Is this something that is taking God's place in our lives? Or is it something that I'm doing and I'm enjoying God through it? We see a situation, a story that Jesus tells in the, the New Testament. His, he interacts with a guy the, that we call the rich young ruler. He's a young guy who had a lot of money. And he came up to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives him, well, you've got to do this, 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 and this, all these commandments. And the guy goes like, I've done all these commandments. What else do I need to do? And he says, you need to sell everything and give it to the poor. Jesus is not saying that riches are bad, that we all should go sell everything. But it was a hard issue with this guy. And we don't know what happened to him because he walked away. It was too much for him. He desired the kingdom of God, but he desired his riches even more. And so, so when we look to our stuff and our riches and our hobbies for security and satisfaction, the Bible calls that idolatry. We're putting something in the place of God. And so whatever it is, if it's, it's food or sports or relationships or nature or quilting or whatever it is, if it becomes an idol or it takes a place of God, that's not what God wants. That's not the way that God has designed us. See, Jesus was no killjoy but he wasn't also on a mission to cram as much pleasure and happiness as he could into life. He found those pursuits to be trivial because what he really wanted was his father's plan. And those benefits of, of pleasure are fleeting, but the benefits of following God are lifelong and include love and joy and peace, peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. So I believe that God created earth for our enjoyment and for our pleasure. And God wants us to enjoy that in its right place. And so I've come up with a couple questions here to kind of help you think and process. Is, is what I'm enjoying in the proper place with God? So the first question to ask yourself is, does it, your hobby or whatever it is, take resources away from providing for my family? Is your golf game keeping you from providing for your kids' school supplies? Next question, are you spending more time with your hobby instead of your family? Does your family think that your, your time at the gym is just getting a little obsessive and they don't see you much anymore? Has your hobby taken the place of God in gathering at church? I've had people come to me and, and say, well, oh, Brian, I, I really could come to church, but I, I really, I just like to get out into nature. That's, that's church for me. Well, I get that you can enjoy being in nature, but God has called us to gather as the church. The church isn't a building. The church is people. And so if, if being in nature is replacing you being here, that's a problem. You're placing that above what God has asked for us to do. Next question, is pleasure your highest goal? So is this activity that you have becoming an addiction? Could you stop it today if you wanted to? It's an easy definition of an addiction. Could you stop it today if you, if you wanted to? And the final question, which I think is my favorite, in good conscience, can you thank God for this? Can you thank God for what you're enjoying? Um, you know, I don't think you can sit there and say, God, thank you for the weed that I'm smoking, right? No, it's probably not a good thing to do, okay? So, you know, can you thank God for what you're doing? Because, see, God has given us pleasure and has given us life to enjoy them within the bounds of keeping him in his proper place. Now, I love the simplicity of Psalm 38. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. See, taste here means to experience the great blessings that God has in life. And we know that God is the giver of all good things. 
And we must keep him in that place. And God gives us these things, and we must thank him for that and never allow these good things to take the place of him in our lives. See, enjoyment of life is not about us. It's about God. You and I enjoy things not because we deserve it, but because God gives it to us. So it's important to recognize and acknowledge God, not only for these good things, but he's also the giver of life and giver of all things and giver of our relationship with him. So may we experience all that God has given to us within its bounds and praise him and thank him for it.